0: Well,
1: hello. I'm joined by the brilliant and illustrious Nick Hudson. How are you doing, Nick?
0: Well, that was one heck of an introduction for a o'clock. <laughs> I'm fine. And you?
1: I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm surviving in, uh, you know, this tense climate of COVID debate. Um, how are you? You know, I think the first thing that I want to ask, as this is uh, hopefully going to be a, a more lighthearted and... Um, Kind of bonhomous reprieve from the usual uh, combative climate of of COVID interviews. Um, how are you doing? Like with uh, psychologically, with you know the the pressure and the um, kind of bleakness of of what's going on now.
0: That's a very interesting question. Um, the pressure, I think, I've developed a bit of a thick skin. Uh, <laughs> I was joking earlier, you know, all this talk of refractory immune systems, I've got a refractory skin. The, the, the insults bounce off of me and they have done so for eight months. But um, in terms of the, the environment, I, I really get the, 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 the feeling of the depression. You know, we, we receive uh, as an organization just letter after letter from our support base telling their stories, you know, of what has, what the policy response here has done to their lives and uh, the devastation that it has wreaked. And it's, it's, you know, terrible because supposedly these things were designed to protect vulnerable people, but what's totally clear is that the policies are having a massively harmful effect on vulnerable people. And so that is quite depressing, but I'm, a, but I'm an inveterate op- optimist. I, uh, I'm almost an optimist by principle. Uh, so, I don't, I don't, I, I, my depressions don't last for more than a day.
1: Uh, that's good. So, okay. we need some optimism on this side of the debate. Well, you've come to the right place. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we get that from your name as well. The, uh, the panda mascot is, um, a, a, uh, is, is nice to see in uh, yes. the cartoons that we see. It also seems like you guys have been getting, fortunately, more publicity than you had um, in months prior. Is that, accurate assessment yes
0: it's been a long slow uh journey in that regard because there's been such a a takeover a capture of media um and in some countries there have been laws passed that uh prevent anybody from questioning government policy um so you have a combination of uh really uh, very, very bad ownership dynamics in mainstream media, uh, laws that discourage uh, skepticism or, you know, debate about policy alternatives. And then in social media, you've got this, I mean, it's, you actually have to laugh at it. It's so, yes. it, it's so ridiculous. Uh, you know, we, we've had some amazing, amazing things happen. We, we, the other day we had a post on Facebook taken down And what the post was about, it was about the World Health Organization's policy with respect to masks and kids. It was literally a restatement of the World Health Organization's policy. And that was taken down. Now, we don't know why, but I have a guess. There are many countries in the world that have mask policies for kids that contradict that World Health Organization policy. And uh, Facebook and YouTube and all these guys say, well, you know, we, we don't allow posts that contradict the World Health Organization or local authorities. So, you know, when, you, when, when the World Health Organization is contradicting the, the local authorities, for some reason or other, they don't take down the World Health Organization, but they do take us down, you know? So it, it's almost comical. Um, and, and, and just if you go into the very nature of that kind of prohibition, they're not saying we, we're gonna take down uh, material that's false which i have a problem with anyway. I mean, we've got to allow freedom of speech. That's the hallmark of a liberal economy, a liberal society. Um, but they're saying if you contradict an authority, and that is just terrible. That when, when, when they have reached that point, when that is their community standard, they have no standards.
1: Yes, and then that authority changes depending on whatever the fashion is lately. I mean, throughout the time, there's... Been times where in America we've been on the side of the CDC and then the CDC might backpedal and give some actual facts and then we're like, we don't like the CDC anymore. And so uh, posts that, uh, you know, uh, paste what they've said will be taken down and then the CDC will go back to the standard narrative and then we'll be on their side again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've had a very uh, strange time in that regard in the last 48 hours. Because for months now, half a year or so, we've been pointing to the problems with the whole PCR testing regime. Yeah. And its inability to ter- to, you know, to identify um, infectious people or its tendency to, to flag people for quarantining who are, have got no chance of being infectious. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, we've, that's been a well-developed story. We've got some really excellent geneticists you understand the PCR world inside and out, and who have been helping us through the science of that, and we've been trying to make those points. A lot of the points we've been making were suppressed or taken down. Um, then two days ago, the World Health Organization came out and flagged exactly the same problem that we were talking about for six months. So we went bonkers and said all the things we were very careful about before, only to find that today the World Health Organization has taken the notice down. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We don't know where where that leaves us, you know. So it's 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 just pathetic.
1: <laughs> There's yeah. no other way for it. Honestly, the the I was talking to somebody because I tried to actually look at that um, that post from the the uh, WHO, and it, it, I wasn't able to access it. And it's like, even if they weren't trying to retract the statement or yeah. anything like that, just the fact that you have removed the ability for people to access what you've already said makes it much yeah. more suspicious than it needs to be. Yeah,
0: no, that's right. And of course we have way back machines and you know, any number yeah. of people would have gone and uh, taken a screenshot of that because uh, we know that this kind of thing goes on. I mean, they've done it before, right? The, yeah. the, the really funny one was um, uh, when Maria von Kurkova came out and said, look, you know, we looked at the data and they, they, there's no real evidence that uh, asymptomatic transmission is anything but rare. And um, she said that on the sa- unfortunately for her at the same time that in another conference room somewhere the World Health Organization was doing an about turn on masks also without any scientific evidence by the way and uh, those two messages you know obviously collided in midair and, and one of the messages had to go so the very next day poor old Maria was trotted out onto the stage where she had to say. But we do have asymptomatic transmission
1: in models, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Everything it's is models with this whole disease, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The models beginning, the it's models. just been models. Yeah, that's right. It's a, not very good actually, ones either.
0: No, well, I mean, and, and in fairness, to model complex things is very difficult. But that's a good yeah. reason to take, to take all models with a pinch of salt. I mean, I, I uh, you recently just flicked through that original Imperial College model, um, okay. or the p- report about the model. And when you look at the claims of precision they're trying to make, it's just silly. You know, yeah. uh, the number of parameters that are going into that and the inability to calibrate those parameters, it's just makes a mockery of the entire process of science really.
1: Yeah, and then you know, at least if the genera of people couldn't see that in the beginning, it, it shouldn't have taken very long to see once we're orders of magnitude off that maybe yeah. we need a, to remodel this thing.
0: Yeah, uh, but, but I, I think a lot of it is, is, the problem is not so much that, you know, are you, are you failing to build the right model or calibrate it correctly, but it's that you're even making the decision with the model.
1: You know? Yeah, yeah. It's
0: kind of, it's, it's very imaginative because it's what, what, it, what it says to me about somebody when they bring me a model to describe a very complex thing is that they don't understand complexity. Yes. And feedback systems and reflexivity. And, you know, I I see complexity as one of the the beautiful things in the world. And I have a respect for it. And my regard is so high that I, I approach change as something that you want to do incrementally when it comes to dealing with complex systems. And so the very important thing would be to do, okay, look, we suspect that if we do this, we might get this outcome. So we're gonna try on the margins over here in this corner of the world. And then this is what we're gonna be looking for. And if we don't find it, we're gonna stop before we have an unforeseen consequence on our hands. And that, the, 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 what happened with lockdown in the face of this very complex thing, uh, uh, an epidemic, you know, um, was that they did exactly the opposite. They went all in on a new theory that contradicted all pre-COVID science on the basis of a model that you know was rickety and wobbly, and then didn't bother to check whether the effects that they were predicting were actually evident in the data, and we noticed that very early on that they weren't.
1: Yes, or in or um, you know recalibrating when negative effects were observed, which is the essence of the precautionary yes. principle. Yeah, you know? that's right.
0: Yeah. We did see that one of the models in South Africa. You know, they initially assumed that lockdown would reduce the rate of spread by 50%. We said to them then and there, no way. That's no. That's already not evident. It's already evident in the data that that's not the case. You know, (laughs) Um, and then in the second iteration of their model, some several months later, they reduced it to 15%. At which point we said, out, actually, if you that would have been a plausible." Uh, story in your first model but have you noticed what the data says now that it's actually worse to no effect and uh you know so there are there, there are attempts to recalibrate but yeah ultimately what happens is these guys are very ideologically motivated and they don't want yes. that to be the answer so they find a way to rationalize their uh, themselves into supporting the answer that they want
1: yeah and you see that with all the the cognitive dissonance in um, you know, the, the rhetoric they're using in like, you know, country comparisons, they, in the first place, most country comparisons are going to be arbitrary anyway, you know, because you, you're yeah. not going to have the, the, the same variables involved. I mean, it just, you know, population alone is not going to be uh, distributed in the same way. But, you know, they, they will employ the use of countries that seem to have positive results and that happen to also have high restrictions and they'll completely disregard the countries that didn't have very heavy restrictions and had even better results. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's, that's right. The, 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 the secret source of paywise comparisons. And it, it, it reveals a mentality that is peculiar. Um, the, the one thing you can say for sure when you have a complex system is that there are a lot of factors influencing the result. And that tendency to go pairwise comparison and then to assess it with respect to only one variable uh, really reveals a very weak minded work. Um, You know, there's so much that we know is relevant age, comorbidity prevalence, obesity prevalence. So to look at two countries and say, well, this country had 10 and this country had five and the one locked down and the other one didn't. Uh, therefore, it's lockdown causing the
1: difference is is just silly. Yeah. At, at best, it's uh, uh, ad hoc, ergo proctor hoc. Yeah. You know, I was looking at, um, I wanted to, I have a background in logic, so I wanted to actually write a paper just on the okay. logical fallacies uh, yeah. over, yes. uh, <laughs> over it lockdown. It'll have to be a book. It'll have to be a book. You yes. Have to be a book. <laughs> Two volumes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be great. I think that would be a great idea. I mean, you, you mentioned the post hoc uh, problem. I, I, absolutely. their rain dance is being done everywhere. You know, <laughs> It's yeah. really is quite amusing. And and the other area where you see a lot of it is in masks. I mean, if there ever yeah. was an area where over decades of study, there'd been an absolute failing to produce any of the gold standard randomized controlled trial results in support of the, the theory, it was this one.
1: Yes. And
0: uh, we, we had a delightful story the other day. Some collective of scientists in South Africa decided that they wanted to take us on um, and they did it without naming us but it was very clear who they were referring to you know, misinformation, uh, the general the general slur without any specifics and in that paper you said we, we really should listen to them about masks because the ev- evidence is incontrovertible and they referred what? us to some websites one of them, and I'm not joking about this, one of them referred to a study of two hairdressers <laughs> <laughs> you know you couldn't make it up. Uh, they also referred to us to a fact-checking site. Ah, yeah. Of course, okay. you know, must go to a fact-checker. There's a 24-year-old there with a, a bone through his nose who's got a um, uh, he's got a thing to say to me about, you know, um, about anything. yeah you know, Everything that I might say that could be wrong, he's, he's got the answers. Um, but the very funny thing is we went to check out the website and one of the most recent posts was somebody challenging them as to who their funding was. And the mm-hmm. fact-checkers... Had to fact check themselves because they initially denied any involvement of the Soros organization, and uh, and uh, in in the end had to come back and fact check themselves. They were indeed funded by Soros, which was really funny. (laughs) That's
1: that's a consistent theme I've seen with the pro uh, pro lockdown pro policy. They all seem to have some kind of ties financially or politically with some, uh, some relevant organization. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I keep on reminding people that's not a conspiracy theory. That, that's just fact and it's out in the open. So you, know, you can't <laughs> call me a conspiracy theorist for pointing out that the Gates Foundation and Gabby touched just about every healthcare institution in the world and that uh, you know, the, the, the number of scientists who are brave enough to work in those institutions and speak out against those organizations is very small. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a conspiracy theory. That's just a statement of pure incentive, you know.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the, the silencing of the few that are now is, I think, n- not in conspiracy realm anymore. I mean, I think we've had enough yeah. evidence of that for the past several months, honestly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's wh- that's where the conversation goes from being a relaxed and pleasant Friday evening conversation to one that I have I, I found personally quite shocking me. know, we've I've interviewed and we have on our other inside our organisation on our scientific advisory board um, many scientists who have had unbelievable careers and are decent, courageous human beings. And the moment they stick their hands up and say, "Hold on a second, this is not looking right," the cancel culture brigade comes after them, and you know, just crazy things happen overnight. Their Wikipedia page changes from. Listing hundreds of citations and awards and titles and whatnot, status issues, you know, to calling them uh, conspiracy theorists or COVID denialists or whatever, COVID deniers, and I I just look at that and I say, you know, where, where along the way did we find so many people who are so damn twisted that they're going to do this kind of thing? It's just not right. You You should come and debate and engage. And we've had the flag up. We've had the sign out on our window saying, yeah, we, we, yeah we, everything we say is we'll correct. We'll revise if we're wrong. You know, We expect to be wrong. This is a complex world. <laughs> Every good scientist is wrong a lot. You, know? you have to be wrong. Otherwise, you don't make new discoveries. And I've had two debates. Two.
1: In eight months. <laughs> they don't want to. I mean, nobody that's... Usually, if your concern is not the truth, then you don't want to debate with someone who's... Exactly. Is. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I mean, I think that uh, what's very telling is that the people that they go after most severely when they speak out are the people with the best credentials. You know, yes. people like uh, I, I think in the beginning of this whole thing, there was Kowalski who was speaking yeah. out against the mass and and the whole idea of lockdown being. Uh, kind of antipodal to uh, not only just epidemiological precedent, but common sense. And uh, there is John Ioannidis, you know, Wolfgang Vodar, the list goes on, right? But these are all people that are like, you know, I think Beta Stadler said about John Ioannidis, that he alone outweighs all the scientists in Germany put together, you know.
0: So, <laughs> well, look, I, was, I was actually going to make the comment, if you, if you hadn't mentioned him, I was going to make, I was going to mention him and, and point out that, I mean, he's not just one of the greats in epidemiology, he's one of the greats in science, Yeah. You
1: know,
0: um, and, and in your field of, of, of uh, epistemology, uh, uh, you know, logic, um, he, he's, he's, he's an incredibly subtle thinker and, and widely admired, until, you know, 14 February. Once when <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you said something that we didn't like.
0: Yeah, when he, when he made the fatal error of uh, performing a serology study during an epidemic, you know. <laughs> 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 you can't make this stuff up. It really is yeah. quite scary. Yeah,
1: it's, it's the twilight zone, man. I mean, that's what it's I feel like life. I've been living in for a while. Yeah.
0: But, you know, for, for somebody like me, I, th- I think the reason why I was so switched on and, and, and the people in Panda, a lot of them are in my position, I'm not, not unique in this regard, but a lot of us were sitting here with big round eyes, watching crazy things going on at universities and in education environments uh, in government. There were just any number of really um, irrational ideas that had taken hold in our, uh, in, in our cultures and which were starting to spray themselves all over business and sport and politics and healthcare. You know, there, there were no places that were not touched, and you were looking at this and saying, "Well, okay, I'm just a businessman. I'm I'm just a doctor. I'm not going to suddenly jump on a podcast and start talking about my concerns about those things." But now, when this thing came around, and you say, "Well, this is very serious, and we have to do something," um, you suddenly are drawing the dots between all of those concerns you had over the last two decades. And what's happening now, the profoundly irrationalist approach, the censorious approach, the authoritarian approach, not just to science, but to but to society in general. Uh,
1: and that's that's kind of scary. That's scary. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah, I mean it's not orthogonal to 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 my own interests. It's like because for me the seeing the dogmatism in science kind of Come to this uh, furore, if you will. Uh, it's not. I mean, it's just symptomatic of an underlying cultural uh, condition, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and the legs.
1: Yes. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Mm. I mean, what do you think of the? What do you think of the major aspects of it? How how do you, how do you sort it out in your brain?
1: Well, I mean, I think in terms of. This, this particular issue with just how we're treating um, the scientists that we favor, the science that we favor, I think it's honestly it's it's basically theocratic, you know. We've invested so much we we almost require of it like a, a sort of absolute uh, correctness of the, the scientific enterprise. and so, And we simultaneously want that to accord with our own beliefs, you know. So when we can't accept that the science would be wrong at any point, which is completely like, so you don't understand how science works, right? I mean, it's supposed to be it's wrong, and then then we figure out what's happening, and then it's wrong again, and we figure out what's happening. You
0: can even say that it's it's at its best when it's wrong often.
1: Yeah. Yeah, true. And the best discoveries are often, you know, uh, through being wrong or through accident or, you know, uh, any of the other means. I mean, it's, it's never like it, it's never that precise that we actually know what we're doing, you know, uh, not, not in the major revolutions or anything like that. Um, yeah. And so we demand that it's it's right and we demand that it accords with our beliefs. So anything that's contrary to that idea is just gonna be, uh, you know, anathematized, censored, censured, you know, the works.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, it's interesting that you use the term uh, theocracy um, because unlike, unlike many people who consider themselves scientists, I am not one who would walk around Calling myself an atheist with uh, with any you know with great bombast and pride, Um, and uh, principally because I see in religion and religious systems um, the potential to consider them to be repositories of knowledge, um, knowledge of an 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 ineffable uh, variety, Um, and why would I have that regard? complexity.
1: Hmm.
0: So if I look at human society and the sum and the complexity of its all all the interactions, um, uh, and the rules that govern behavior and that lead to orderly development of society and to creativity in society and to um, healthy outcomes for families and so on, I can see that those are not simple systems that you can write down the logic of it on a piece of paper or on a computer piece of computer code. Um, And so I have this idea that certain of the things that work are things that uh, evolved in the mists of time. Deep, uh, deep history things, um, things that are in tension with our biology and interact with our biology in very complicated ways. And included in all that culture is this thing called religion and for hundreds of years it's played a very instrumental role in the way people thought some of it good apparently some of it bad apparently and so i'm not prepared to look at it and say write it all off but what i am very suspicious of is new religions you know the one yes. that was invented yesterday and so these the, the, these scientists sound like people who've got a new religion lockdown is the new religion yeah and um, it's a bit like the woke religion, you know, this didn't exist in 1970. Um, so it's kind of this new shiny toy that's talking about a very complex thing. And they're suddenly behaving like uh, z- z- religious zealots with respect to something that didn't exist yesterday. Um, and I find that part disconcerting. So I, I have a great deal of time for religious people and um, religious thinking. I'm not. It's not alien to me. Um, and I, I think if, if anything, a lot of religious institutions have failed themselves and, and their societies by failing to find a way to assert the kind of concept that I'm talking about. Uh, they don't, they're not, they're not muscular enough in the defense of certain of their ways, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. They haven't developed the sufficient epistemology around it really. And so I kind of look at this and I say, ah, oh, uh, so when I see these guys uh, closing all the churches and uh, opening up the the, lock, the church of lockdown, I look yeah. at this and say, oh, uh, this doesn't look like a good direction to be taking the world.
1: No, Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna have a single world religion, this is not the one to do it. The one that completely, yeah. you know, uh, eviscerates us yeah. of, of what life is. Uh, yes. you
0: know. and, and it's and just I, I, I wouldn't want a single world religion any more than i'd want a single science an authoritarian science because i think all, everything evolves and it's it's all uh, it's you need in, in order for a, a, a sound process of ev- evolution to to take place you need competing ideas and competition doesn't need to be uh, red in tooth and claw you know it, competition just means Visible, uh, the, the transparency of a of a process of comparison, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it would be a disappointment to me if the if everything went uniform and we had a grand world government and a and a world authority on anything, uh, especially when it comes to something complicated like epidemics and healthcare. Yeah. I didn't say I didn't mention any organisation there, but you you know straight away I'm talking about you
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you know that's that's precisely. The problem for a lot of people because complexity is difficult, and there's a lot of people that they just want a simple answer. They want simplicity, you know. So lockdowns are really simple. COVID's killing everybody. That's really simple, you know. But the idea of nuance—that's really hard for people, people to get behind right now.
0: Yes, and I, I and I sympathize there. I, I mean. If you look at, a lot of science goes around, when when you look in the natural sciences, um, the natural history subjects, a lot of it goes around trying to grapple with um, two problems, complexity and continuum. So the first thing you do when you come to a new biome is you start trying to classify all the things you see. And the classification project is doomed from the start because nature produces these continua. Um, And so it doesn't all fit into nice, discrete boxes. But the process of taxonomically classifying things seems somehow essential to just making sense of the mess. Um, Until you started trying to see the similarities and differences and trying to say, look, okay, well, what we can call all the animals who have these features this by this genus, or this order family or whatever, and we're going to put them over here and then we're going to, and the other ones over here, and then you have some kind of way to sort of start giving order uh, and and start finding a framework with in which to perform exploration, you know. Um, So I do sympathize with people who want to simplify and who want simple answers. Um, I think we all do. But it's, it's uh, a pity when in the quest for the simple answer, as you say, the nuance goes and the ability to conceive of the possibility that the simple answer might be wrong. Yes, yeah.
1: And I think, you know, it's like you say, the complexity is something to desire and something to be, to. I mean really be appreciated uh, to put it uh, mildly, you know, because that's where all the richness is, you know, mm. I, I think like the, what's what's really disturbing to me is how okay everyone is with just this really bare bones excuse for a life that people are living wherever they're at pretty much. I mean, in my, I live in a relatively light lockdown, Area. I mean, we didn't even really lock down at all, according to some people. Um, but still, there's nobody's doing anything. There's nothing going on. I mean, if you go outside, it doesn't seem, you know, if somebody had time traveled here from two years ago, they wouldn't even recognize that life was continuing in any sort of, uh, you know, way that uh, similar to what they're used to, you know. So, I mean, I think like. If you're going to say that the reason for all of this is to protect the lives of people, even the even if we're just talking about the elderly, I think not looking at the quality of life lost, not looking at the years of life lost, you know, this is uh, just the essence of being disingenuous. Mm.
0: Well, what, let me let me try an idea with you. I'm an intuitive Mm. anti-utilitarian. And funny enough, for reasons related to complexity, I don't think a calculus is a calculus of utilities at all possible uh, in the face of the immense complexity. And uh, so, I mean, maybe a couple of minutes on this. Um, You know, the classic idea or the the classic problem that's thrown at a first year university student who's learning about, utilitarian philosophy, the, is the doctor's waiting room. And uh, uh, there are four patients in the waiting room and one's got a broken kidney and one's got a broken liver and one's got a broken heart and the other one's got a you know, broken eye. So, um, and they're all gonna die if they don't get this treatment or whatever. And a fifth patient, perfectly healthy, walks in and the doctor says, you're just the man I've been looking for. <laughs> uh, uh, it's your, it's, I'm sorry to say, but uh, we, we're gonna need your body because with your body, we can save four people. You know,
1: mm.
0: <laughs> We're gonna have your liver, your kidney, your heart, and your eye, that's a terrible example, the eye, but uh, we're gonna have your organs for these other people. Four people will be saved, you must be very happy. you know. Now, and the, the reason that's given as a problem is the students are challenged to think about whether uh, that kind of utility-based argument is uh, valid. And of course, every inch of their being rebels against it, and rightly so. And the answer that the best answer I heard to give given to a student to help them out of this mess was um, that: Can you imagine how life would be destroyed if we all walked around bearing the concern that we might at any moment be arrested to have our organs harvested for all the sick people out there? And what, wouldn't that cause a much bigger utility problem for society than for the one healthy patient who happened to walk into the doctor's room. So it's not a one versus four scenario, it's a, it's a many. And then you're mm-hmm. left with the problem of that anxiety being measured against the, the value of the life of the four sick people, uh, the, the, the people, and you straight away run into a measurement problem and so you go. So it, it, was, it's a, it is actually a great silly example because it takes you very quickly to the futility of utilitarian thinking. And so this is the philosophical point that I'm in uh, before coronavirus comes along. And then I find myself in this strange position of saying, uh, well, these guys are all talking about lockdown in terms of it's a benefit in slowing the spread or flattening the curve or whatever their choice phrase was. Um, But nobody's talking about the costs to the rest of society. Mm -hmm. And I found myself advancing, along with my colleagues at Panda, the, a, a fundamental utilitarian argument to, <laughs> to, to promote this idea, yeah. which was very disconcerting for me. And I squealed the whole way through the process of doing that. Because in, in my mind, I, I would go to virtues. I would look at the nature of the behavior that's being undertaken. What are you doing with coercive practices like lockdown? You're destroying human agency, you know? You are, you are uh, having the arrogance to make people's risk assessments for them. Yeah. You are, in the broader scheme of the whole lockdown mania, you are suppressing knowledge creation, you are censoring, um, and so on. And I, I would be anchored as opposed to those things or seeing them as unvirtuous. So I object. No, we don't, we don't tell uh, people they may not send their kids to school and we do not tell them they may not come out of their houses. And greater good be, be you know, to help with it. I don't care what your calculation of the greater good is. Those things are kind of no. We, and, and above all, we don't try and make people scared. Our, our, yes. our virtuous path in the world is not to make people fearful and it's not to be cowards so we've done a terrible thing to our youth by making them scared and teaching them that virtue persists in hiding away i I, I think we've done nobody any favors and we're going to be living with the consequences for a long long time
1: yes yeah and you know the the guilt that we've kind of saddled them with as well you know i think the problem uh, for me i'm I'm really like totally on the same page with the virtue-based thinking and looking at, and also looking at things in terms other than the quantitative, you know? Um, but at, at least in terms of the virtues, I think that the problem is that that doesn't make any money, you know? I mean, making people scared is making a lot of money for a lot of people. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that's right. Making people scared is making people money. There's no question, you're absolutely right. I've never heard it expressed that way, that direct
1: line. Not <laughs> <laughs> about beating right? around the bush, you know? Yeah. So
0: what were the the things that people in the past used to prevent, uh, you know, corrupt people from trying to make money out of them being scared? What were the things they drew upon, you know?
1: um, Yeah, I mean, well, that was having a sort of cultural reservoir of Mm -hmm. virtual uh, ideals of virtue, you know, Mm -hmm. things like and and also uh, education. You know, there was a reason if you study like the development of the modern education system there was a, a very pointed attempt to well I an mean, attempt it succeeded to remove logic and rhetoric from the curricula so that way that I mean now people aren't aware of what rhetoric is being uh, pushed on them you know how they're being manipulated through advertising mm-hmm. through media mm-hmm. things like that but I think you know that it in many ways we're just in an unprecedented time no, We've never had the type of tools available to people that were interested in manipulating mass amounts of people. You know, uh, you know, just the, any social media, just one social media engine alone is, is completely is is uh, completely capable of changing the minds or brainwashing an entire population.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was actually talking to this with one of the panda, talking about this to one of the panda members today. Um, how about this we we've always had this kind of feature that power tends to be abused that's mm-hmm. nothing new in, in human history and one of the uh, cultural systems or societal political systems if you like that evolved in order to deal with that problem was democracy so if you think of the 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 sort of the, the natural economic world is being one dollar one vote um, until the pitchforks until the pitchforks come out and and your dollars don't matter anymore. Um, what they did was they said, okay, uh, we put in one man one vote, and that is a counterbalance to the one dollar one vote of the the raw market. And that's a not a perfect system, but it's a it addresses the problem in a it partially. Um, so we, we have we have this mechanism and what's happened now is certain corporations have escaped regulatory control. They're, they're, they're international. Um, They to an extent are outside of the ability of any one government to, to regulate them. And they have lobbied so intensively that they've corrupted the governments anyway. Uh, So what we've got is some institutional escape. Um, and the question is what to do. Do you now create a world government that's gonna make rules to, uh, to, to control supranational organizations? Mm, that doesn't intuitively appeal to me. Or do we actually find, find mechanisms to put them back into national boxes? Uh, that, would, that route would seem to me to have more appeal. Or do we uh, come up with uh, better technologies using uh, blockchain and so on to 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 actually compete against them um, that would be my favorite of the three ideas although we might have to muddle along with the combination of the last two um, so I kind of look at this and I say yeah, yeah that's an interesting development but we, we we don't do ourselves any favors to try and by pretending that that's entirely novel has no uh, reference points in history we must look and see what how uh, very oppressive systems that had large scale were dismantled, whether they were the Soviet Union or the Dutch East India Company um, or King Leopold of Belgium. You know, we we need to we need to look at history and say how how how
1: were those oppressive systems taken down? Um, I think, <laughs> unfortunately, I think a lot of times it involved a lot of blood. You know, uh, there's it's it, yeah. usually when things get too oppressive there reaches a I mean there's a crescendo where there's no choice but revolution among people Mm. Mm. yeah I don't think we can get to that now because you know just mm. the like technology of weaponry is so Mm. uh, is so disparate between the people in control or the governments and the regular people and if the governments are on the side of the people that the people want to revolt against then it's not really going to work out you know if you're going to come out with like a 22 or something and they've got, you know, all of the, the military technology that they have. I mean, not that, not that I'm saying revolution in the first place is warranted or, you know, something that we should plan for, but in, yeah. in that event, right, it I wouldn't be I
0: understand what you're saying. Um, I was just trying to think of examples of nonviolent revolutions, because they definitely have been.
1: Yes, uh, I mean, you know, people like to say Gandhi, but there was a lot of blood then too. Uh, I mean, there's, it has happened, but I think,
0: well, I would say that's a good example. Gandhi, Gandhi was a good example. I mean, yes, on the on the margins there was some some blood loss, but uh, and an- another example would be the end of apartheid in South Africa. That was
1: yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, of course, there were freedom fighters who, who lost their lives, and there was yeah you know, during the time of apartheid, obviously to create many evils that were perpetrated that caused uh, a lot of misery. But um, the process of movement was. Um, was reasonably peaceful. And I, I I, have had it suggested to me on numerous occasions that what will be, will be required as a route out of this will be some kind of truth and reconciliation committee because
1: the, you can't let the people who did this all just get away. You know, yeah, and, and exactly. No that's that's my big thing. I, like, just the, we just, like, accountability and justice are, are the things that are required for us to move on from this. If we just let it go, even if they were to change everything back to normal right now, it's yeah. That's that is completely inadequate and unacceptable response.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there needs to be something. So maybe we look at South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission <laughs> and uh, learn some lessons from that and apply them when it comes to uh, doing an actual report co- report card for the World Health Organization or whoever else has discovered to be have been putting the strings behind them. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think um, the main thing, like, I think that's really far in the future because right now I still see at least where I'm at, I still see the majority opinion, like vast majority opinion is that everything's still the same COVID's still killing everybody locked down for indeterminate amount of time. So I think until the regular people have been given a reason to change their opinion on on what's been going on. I don't think mm. we're gonna move anywhere.
0: Mm. Yeah, and that that is where um, it you've got to think hard about how you uh, carry out what is essentially a a public relations campaign.
1: Yeah,
0: because um, you need to get more of the middle one side. I do believe it's happening, and I do believe it's inevitable um I, it, it depends yeah. where you are what you perceive in terms of how many people are still on the side of this program and i mean I, I guess because we sit here receiving you know email and let email after email from people who are telling us their their personal stories we realize how big this reservoir of, of desperately unhappy and uh dismayed disillusioned people they are and all of those people count and i think there will be tipping points I mean, I saw a court in Weimar today ruled that continuation of lockdown or or any restrictions were uh, sort of against the laws of the nation. I don't know. Yes, I think I've seen that,
1: too. Yeah. And that's that's really that's a good sign. Uh, I think it it's not likely to translate into like a nationwide type of thing. But, uh, you know, it's that's progress, at least, you know. And, and right. I do see the same sort of trickle towards um, more, I guess, you know, COVID realism than, than what has been before. I, you know, I checked the numbers on some of the online forums and, and things like that that are on this side of the fence. And, you know, just over the past maybe two months, I've seen a huge increase compared to the trickle that has happened. Over the whole year, you know, so yeah. people are, are definitely getting tired of this and, and more information is being uh, presented to the public and, you know, mm. we're, we're getting more on this side, but it's we're still a long way off, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right. But the one thing that I'm noticing is there's increasing use of ridicule. And that's a very good thing
1: on our side. Yes, I, I think yeah. I think so, too. We did not yeah. use that nearly enough. Because we yeah. have all the reasons to ridicule, you know. They, they're like, There's no reason to not be a little bit arrogant when all of the facts and data are on our side.
0: It, yeah, I, and I, I would hasten to add, it's, it's, it's more what's good about that is it's the sense of humor coming to the fore. Yeah. People are starting to see, you know, actually this stuff is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, um, and therefore ridicule. Um, so, I mean, there was a classic one I, I've forgotten the name, probably just as well. But uh, the scientist posted on her Twitter feed that you know what what she'd fa- she'd found a great way of making your mask more effective. She inserts a, a panty liner in her yeah, mask. I see that face too. Face. <laughs> and she goes after <laughs> that <their> jog, <joke. laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. and and immediately she just got pelted. You know, I mean, how ridiculous! So what that tells you. Is people know the mask is ridiculous in the yeah. in, anyway. They know, okay. Um, there was a maybe some group of them thought for a while. Oh, I've got to wear a mask because I might kill somebody. You know, and that, that's something good in them that they're trying not to kill people. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. But then over time, they've listened, they've looked, and they've realized. Hold on a minute. This the goalposts are moving, or they they notice that. Uh, they see one too many politician telling everybody else to wear a mask, and then swanning yeah. off to a beach in the Bahamas when they're not allowed to travel, and they, you know, and they start noticing these things. And there's that classic clip. Remember, I, I forget which state it was in Philadelphia. I think uh, one of the
1: uh, the political theater. The, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. I see that too.
0: Yeah, a little bit of political theater. Are we, are we doing yeah. masks or masks? mask? The guy says masks, and she says, "Oh, a political theater." Okay, yeah. and she puts on a mask. You know. Now, people see that kind of thing. And I think they begin to get angry and yeah. they get closer and closer to that magic day where they rip the mask off and burn them, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and realize that they've been led by the nose or if if you could lead somebody by the nose when they've got a mask on. But,
1: yeah.
0: um, you know, I I, that, I think more and more that will just happen. And, and uh, I yeah, mean, I think it's yeah, it's definitely
1: happening. And I think we can get there a lot faster if we are not shy about it, you know? I think like the people on the realist camp are kind of, they tended to be nicer in their debates and their presentations, and and the people that are not uh, as informed but are aware that things uh, aren't as they seem, that masks don't work, they're still a, a bit just shy to go out in public without the mask, you know? There's still a lot of them. And, you know, if we just had like everybody, had like a buddy system when you go to the grocery store just don't wear a mask you know it's hard to do it when you're alone you know just because of the pressure but if you have even one other person there then it's like okay and then that's going to start a chain reaction in my yeah. in my state there's a a store and if you go there at night nobody's wearing masks at all it's, it's like a state mandate that you're supposed to and if you go in the daytime everybody's work but at night nobody cares and that's just such ah. a relief to see what state are you in uh it's in uh, america uh a state called arkansas in the south arkansas.
0: okay yeah 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 i lived in texas for a while oh, okay um, yeah uh, i love texas um yeah uh, it's uh, a <clears throat> it's a strange uh phenomenon and I, I i think an aspect of it which we will which is entirely new in a way is is how to handle people who have been so terribly afraid for such a long time. Um, the psychologists in in Panda talk about this in the same way that you talk about a, a soldier returning from a long war, post traumatic stress disorder, and uh, you know looking they, they can they look around and they see the manifestations of it. And uh, what do you do when I don't know? 80% of your society are all suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder.
1: Yes, and particularly the the younger people that already were pretty well afflicted with uh, mental illnesses, anxiety, things like that. And this is, you know, like being inundated 24-7 with fear-mongering is a form of psychological torture.
0: It is very much, and it's deliberately done. We've got behavioral uh, behavioralists on our... Um, behavioural psychologists, I think is the right term or behavioural sociologists or some such nonsense on our uh, ministerial advisory committee in uh, in South Africa. And you can see what they're doing. The Minister of Health, after the last variant came out of the virus, said on social media and national television that we were all equally at risk now, young, young and old. Now that statement is false by three orders of magnitude. And I was so furious when I heard this statement, because young people are faced negligible mm-hmm. risk. I mean, they're just, you know, you, walking down your road yeah. is more dangerous than getting COVID if you're a, if you're a, if you're a youngster. Um, so it's, it's a flagrantly wrong statement. It's false. In, as, it's as false as a statement can be. And what does it do? It instills a lot of fear so we watched the statistics and we were watching the early side of the statistics the hospital admissions you know the age profile of the hospital admissions and of course what happened yeah. since the variant came in the hospital admissions are exactly the same age profile as they were in the first uh, set of uh, the, and during our first wave you know so it is a fundamentally false and no nobly so at the time i mean you know a few a few proteins shuffle a few nucleic acids uh, shuffled around um, in a genome, don't cause the thing to suddenly change all of its attributes. Yes, exactly. And uh, I, you know, we knew it was false at the time. We've now proven it. But did any of the fact checkers object to the minister of health? Was that was? Is there one journalist in South Africa who's taken him to task for that? Has he apologized? Has anybody on the ministerial advisory committee taken him on for this? No. And I believe it would be the same in most countries. That that. kind of a safe harbor to the Minister of Health or the head of the CDC or the head of the World Health Organization he can speak as much total nonsense as he wants free of censure by media by governments by his peers and when we have reached that situation we are we are in a very serious situation and one that is worth fighting against with a lot of energy
1: yes and uh, I guess on that very um, inspiring note, uh, we can call it an interview. I don't want to take up your whole. Is it evening over there right now? Uh, Coming up at seven o'clock.
0: And, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, but it's midsummer, so it's bright. We get light until about eight thirty.
1: Uh, okay. So, yeah. That's nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's been wonderful talking to you. That hour went very quickly.
1: Yeah, it did. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be getting more scientists and scholars on the show. We'd love to have you back, uh, you know, if you're ever available again or you want to have another conversation. Um, It'll
0: be an absolute absolute pleasure. It uh, was a a very, very pleasant way to spend an hour. And yes, I hope you do get some other scientists on and find some that are brave enough to speak up. They are out there.
1: Yes. Yeah. And um, I will send you a link when this is up and I'll put a link to the Pandata website in the description. Um, so thank you. you know best of luck to your organization. I'm so glad to see it really taken off and more people uh, being aware of what you guys are doing.
0: No thank you very much and, and good luck also with your, your podcast efforts. I think it's a very important thing that you're doing.
1: Yeah thanks. I, I'm hopefully uh, I think that doing things more in entertainment is, is going to bring more people on on board you know? I think you're right. I think, I think people
0: want to hear human messages. They are tired of seeing case counts and death
1: counts. Yes, exactly, yeah. So let's, uh, let's bring some of your optimism into the world again.